welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank here with Adam and Scott. Gentlemen, may the fourth be with you. Is it accurate to call... I assume Chris was like the biggest Star Wars fan on the podcast. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. He's not even here for May the 4th. What kind of Star Wars fan is he? He was tweeting about Star Wars this morning, and I didn't even think... It was because of May the Fourth that didn't even cross my mind. It was just it was just another Monday for Chris tweeting about Star Wars movies. That's what he does. Yeah, I just feel bad for Star Wars because the very next day is a much much better holiday. <laughs> Oof! Right? That's I not mean, really come on. Take. I mean, Cinco de Mayo is awesome. Well, it's yeah. much longer standing than when did May the Fourth start? I mean, obviously May the Fourth has been a day on the calendar. But, yeah, you know, it's much when, older. When it's much. We, it's it's when, equally as old as Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> when did people start calling it Star Wars Day? I'm not sure, but all you get to do is dress up. This uh, you get to actually eat like great food on May the fifth. I I only remember hearing of it like within the last five ten years. So it's you know. I, I know for it's, me it's even sooner than that. I feel like, but yeah, it's a it's a bigger phenomenon because of baseball because normally like fans at the game right. are just like dressed up like crazy star wars characters yeah do you guys actually like star wars are you are you big fans or i like star wars i'm i want to call myself a big fan but frank don't do this to me please adam you don't have any <laughs> do you have you any controversial star wars takes well, my controversial take was that i didn't like star wars but then i watched the original star it's, when i grew up i thought it was such a boring movie a new hope yeah it, and then I watched it a few years ago, and I was like, it's really good. Well, I, I feel like great. if you see it too young, it is boring. It's not. Yeah, but but I, so I, that was I decided my first... they had a marathon, right? And I was going to, okay. I DVR'd all three of them, the episodes four, five, and six. And I watched The New Hope, and I really liked it. I was like, this is great. And that was probably almost three years ago. And the other two are still on my DVR. I still haven't seen them. So yeah. <laughs> I, I. <laughs> Would really like to find out if I like Star Wars. I caught a little bit of, I think, The Phantom Menace. Is that the one with Liam Neeson, Phantom Menace? Yes. Yeah. It looked terrible. It was, like, really cheesy and stupid. Darth Maul looks awesome, though. But, but yeah, I mean, the, like, I really... I'm sure I'm going to love Empire Strikes Back because I, A New Hope was great. But I always grew up thinking that was such a crappy, boring movie. So I never gave Star Wars a chance. Uh, yeah. If, if you like the original Star Wars which later became known as a new hope, right? Um I, I think you'll I think you'll be happy with the entire original trilogy. But you know, it's it, there there are opinions vary from there how good uh, the rest of them are, both the prequel and then the sequel trilogies. So, you know, I, I think I think the disparity between the three trilogies is less than some people make it out to be, but I also don't think the the best of them is, is uh, you know, awe-inspiring necessarily either. I'm sure it was at the time when it came out. I mean, I, I feel like the Star Wars franchise, like the the biggest thing it did is kind of change the way movies are paced. And because uh, I go watch anything pre-Star Wars, which, you know, the original Star Wars is older than I am. So all of these movies 
anything that came out before it obviously older than I am too. So I go back and watch them and like, man, some of them just move so slow. Even if there's good stuff in there, I don't have the patience to get to it. I'm not as far behind as Adam, admittedly. Uh, I don't really remember the original movie, so I got to go back and watch those. But I think I've seen up to seven. So I need to watch like the eighth and the ninth movie. I haven't watched The Mandalorian. So I don't know. I've got some catching up to do. But for everyone out there who is a big Star Wars fan, may the fourth be with you. And may the Schwartz be with you if you're a big Spaceballs fan. (laughs) Today on the show, we're going to talk about how if there's no MLB uh, minor league season, minor league baseball season, how does that affect fantasy baseball for this year? And it's obviously very relevant because dynasty drafts are still taking place right now. Dynasty transactions, I assume, are still being made right now. So we're going to uh, review a startup dynasty roto mock draft that we did last Thursday a couple of weeks ago, maybe almost a month ago now. We did a startup dynasty head-to-head points league, um, and last week we did a roto one. So we're going to talk about some of the results from that um, and how this may affect fantasy baseball if there's no minor league baseball season. And that's where I'd like to start, Scott. I know that you've answered a few questions in some of the mailbag columns that you've done for CBSSports.com, but it's not looking good. I mean, there's no definitive answer yet, but we saw a few reports last week that there might not be a minor league baseball season. How might that affect the timeline of specific players? I know it's going to, it's going to change based on like team context, but how are you handling the situation right now, Scott? First of all, I I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't see how there's any way there's a minor league season as many hoops as they're going to have to jump through to get a major league season off the ground. And as much as they're going to have to change, and we've talked about some of the possibilities there, uh, minor league baseball being far more expansive and far less lucrative, I just don't see how they're going to be able to pull that off. So I think uh, one idea that's been bandied about that makes sense is kind of a taxi squad situation where, A, you give your best prospects a chance to continue their development, it wouldn't be so much divided by levels, but just a, a group of your best prospects tagging along with the big league club. If it's at spring training sites, it would make more sense because obviously there's backfields they can play on. If not, then they're going to have to get more creative. But I, I think it's going to be necessary to have some kind of taxi squad just so that you can have players to promote when somebody inevitably gets injured or is just too bad to keep on the roster. I understand rosters are expanded, and so that can help teams play a man or two down, but even if they're as big as 30, there's going to come a point in the season for several teams probably where they're missing more than five guys, four or five guys at a time, and they're going to need a pool of players to draw from. Those players are going to have to have been playing in some capacity in order to to be of any use to them. So I, I think that makes the most sense, and... It's also why I'm not really on board with this idea that every team is going to want their top prospects, all of their top prospects, on the major league roster, on the expanded major league roster. Like I don't think that's necessarily how they're going to use those four extra roster spots. In some cases it will be, but uh, I think it'll have to be clear to the team that that player is ready to contribute, doesn't need any more development time so that they're not, you know, they're not wasting a bunch of service time and they're not wasting 
a roster spot that they're very likely going to then have to replace with somebody else on the taxi squad who may even be less close to being major league ready than the player they had on there originally. So, you know, I, somebody like Nate Pearson of the Blue Jays, who was making a lot of noise this spring, probably the most buzzed about player in all of spring training. And um, the main concern was, well, he'll go down to save some service time and to, to control his innings better. Well, in a shorter season, you don't worry so much about the innings. Uh, I think the way surface time is supposed to work in a shortened season, that wouldn't be so much a concern. It's either you get a year or you don't, I think. I'm not totally positive about that. But yeah, I think Nate Pearson would probably be in. Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals, since they'll have an extra lineup spot to work with, makes sense. I actually went through every team, all 30 teams, and uh, pointed out the player who I expected to begin in the minors who might be of most interest and actually likely to be on an expanded roster. And I only came up with like, only like five of them are top prospects. The others are uh, more like uh, organizational depth guys with maybe some interesting upside, like a Kevin Crone type, you know, or uh, Ty, Ty France of the mm -hmm. Padres. Players like that, I think, make more sense than top prospects for most teams. It's fair to say that it won't really be handled all that differently, right? Because... You know, something that Chris brought up last week when we were doing the live podcast stream it was we had a question about Nate Pearson, and he said, you know, he thinks that Pearson would make it to the bigs this year, even in a shortened season with the Blue Jays, because he can help them compete. I mean, that's how teams normally handle prospects is if they can help them win and they're, and they're close to competing, then, then why wouldn't they call said player up? I remember last year, like, Ryan Mountcastle was ready, and I was – stashing him everywhere but the Orioles never called him up because they're not close to competing so that's that would likely be the same situation in a shorter season right like if anyone's asking about like Jared Kalenic, like why would yeah. the Mariners try and start his clock now it just doesn't make sense right well yeah somebody like Kalenic who's barely played it even double a uh, Mountcastle was actually who I picked for the Orioles I I don't see how they could hold him back anymore especially since it would likely mean holding him back for the whole season I mean he was MVP of the International League last year. He was fighting for a job this spring. He looks like he'd be in. But yeah, somebody who's a step away still, hasn't totally proven himself at every level of the minor leagues and isn't playing for an organization with any ambitions for 2020. So like Kalenic, you mentioned. Uh, but I would even say Mackenzie Gore. That seems like a stretch to think he's going to go from barely playing at A to a member of the Padres rotation, knowing the risks that would come with progressing him that quickly. I think he'd more likely be a taxi squad guy, and maybe we end up seeing him down the line if the Padres are in contention, but I, I don't see it from the very get-go. We keep hearing that word taxi squad, just so we know. That, that just means like practice team. It's kind of like a scout team, but those players are on your roster, right? Like you can call those players up. That's, that's how we're approaching taxi squad. Yeah. Taxi, I, I I assume the term yeah. comes from they're traveling with you. They're taxing with you, right? Or Someone asked me over the weekend, <laughs> I was like, honestly, I've never been asked what a taxi squad is, and that's just what I'm assuming it is. It's like a practice yeah. scout team of, of players that you can uh, call up from your roster. So there you go. That's, yeah. what, uh, that's how no minor league season might affect 2020. I mean, we're still waiting the details of you know if we're gonna have a season, what the season's gonna look like. But yeah, I but, remain but, but also optimistic. what if there's also the okay prospect 
starts the year with the team he's playing, he struggles. What do you do? You can't just send him down like a Keston Hero, right? Keston Hero, actually his numbers before he got sent back down weren't that bad, but that's because he hit three home runs in four days like right before getting sent down. But he was he was pretty useless, and I wasted a lot of fab. We were talking about fab last week. I wasted a lot of fab on Keston Hero. He didn't do much for the first like two to th- two weeks when he was up. Um, he got hot for a few games, got sent down for a month. It came back up and it was really good. I dropped him. So that was bad fat. But I don't know what happens in that. It's like, do they just keep him up? Well, if there, if there is a, this is why I think there'll have to be a taxi squad is because you need to be able to make those transactions. Uh, And also why I don't think teams are going to make a leap for a player who's still a couple of weeks away because then what do you do if he struggles? Right. Is, is anybody on your taxi squad going to be more ready than he is? Right, without that fallback option of going back down, getting your confidence back up, I'm concerned that the teams won't want to take a risk with a player if they don't think he's ready. Because I do think that they they would worry about a hitter's confidence, not having to be able to throw him back down to a league where he could dominate. You know what I mean? Go go beat up on AAA pitching. Uh, they might not want to rush these guys. Uh, that's how I see it. Yeah. yeah, I think it would be bad for you know some of those lower level players who have dominated, right? Like, so you wouldn't see something like a, you know, for example, a couple, like last year, Nico Horner got called up from double A because the Cubs were just desperate and they had nobody else. Like, I I don't know that you would see something like that happen in a shortened season just because A, is he either even going to be on the taxi squad? And B, why would they, you know, push someone like that who's still at a lower level? So it's kind of a combination of what both of you guys have brought up here. But I think, again, they're not going to be aggressive, A, if they're, you know, not ambitious for the season, and B, if those guys are not close to being ready. So that's currently how I'm handling it uh, when it comes to, you know, potentially no minor league baseball season, which as of now, it's not looking very good. Some news and notes from over the weekend. Emmanuel Class A. Suspended 80 games for PEDs. He was the prized possession in the Corey Kluber trade, uh, which sent Kluber to the Rangers and Emmanuel Class A to the Cleveland Indians. Last year, Class A had 12 saves in 14 attempts in the minor leagues, and it's kind of regarded or I think viewed as the closer of the future for the Cleveland Indians, although I like James Karinchak as well. So we'll see what happens there. But he's suspended for 80 games regardless of what happens with the season. Uh, ESPN will broadcast one KBO game per day. A lot of people have been asking questions about the KBO. Uh, The the opening day is technically 1 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday morning. Uh, So we'll dabble here and there. We'll talk about a little bit of what's going on there. But obviously, it just depends on on the demand of the KBO. Do do have either of you guys claimed a KBO team? By the way, no. (laughs) NC NC Dinos for life. Come on, guys. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't looked into it yet, um, but we'll see. <laughs> Look, I, I like the, wait, how do you pronounce it? I've always pronounced it Wyvern, like when I played like role-playing video games, you know? I know you're it's talking common, about, there's like those big like enemy. bat type things, right? Is it Wyvern, Wyvern? Wyvern? I, I thought it was Wyvern. Wyvern? That the sounds, SK Wyverns? Is that where you're leaning, like Scott? That sounds like a smarter way, but you know, <laughs> it's probably oh, first so introduced sponsored, to the term huh? as a 10-year-old. The team yeah. is like the so, Samsung Lions. The Hyundai, I think every team but one or two is sponsored. I'm going to so like go with have, the Little Giants. 
Ooh, Google's saying wyvern. Of course, it's the lot giants or the L-O-T-T-E giants, but it looks like little giants. I'm going to take them. <laughs> all right, all right, the lot giants. Do, is there anyone on there that we might recognize? Scrolling through Ooh, roster. Uh, mm. Every every team has like three or so former major leaguers on it, and the Giants has... Adrian Sampson. Yeah. There you go. Adam. Dan Straley. Dan Straley. Dan Straley. <laughs> All right. I'm in. He might be the most famous player in the entire KBO. You, you pointed out Aaron Altair the other day, uh, Frank. He plays for the... NC Dinos. Oh, that's NC my, Dinos. That's my yeah, squad. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Aaron Altair. Dan Straley famously uh, was traded for Luis Castillo when he was a prospect at the time. Odrisimer Despanyes on the KT Wiz. So there. I'm looking at a roster for my team, the lot, the little giants. There's like, it's like 50 people listed here. <laughs> there are a lot of names. I, I don't know how the rosters work or the <laughs> roster transactions uh, in the KBO, but 50 players on this roster. It must be 50 a, players. An wow. expanded one. Uh, but if you need some baseball, there you go. The KBO will be broadcast uh, one game per day on ESPN. Giants, giants, giants. Let's go, Dinos, baby. Uh, and according to Mike Petraglia who's a Boston columnist, Alex Verdugo. This was interesting. I saw this right before we started. Alex Verdugo will hold a conference call with the media this afternoon. So not sure what that's about, but I'll throw it out there. I know that he has been rehabbing his back injury. The, I guess the penalties came down for the Red Sox. I don't know why he would talk about that. He wasn't involved in it, but uh, we'll see what it's about, what it might be regarding. Uh, all right, before we get into the Dynasty Roto startup mock draft that we did, that's a mouthful. I do want to remind everyone that UFC 249 is this Saturday, May 9th, and to make sure to check out the State of Combat with Brian Campbell podcast. First up, you have the story time with Rashad Evans, part two, bursting on the scene. This is a second installment of a spinoff podcast where the guys go back and revisit Rashad's fighting career, including never-before-heard stories from Rashad about his first four fights following The Ultimate Fighter. Make sure you check out the Spotify playlist called Storytime with Rashad Evans, which will be all the Storytime episodes. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts can be found. And I also want to let people know, send your five-star Apple Podcast review. And we did deep dives on Major League players. Send us prospects now. Just if you want us to talk about a specific pro, uh, prospect, we'll deep dive that player, maybe give you an ETA, you know, what we expect, um, you know, what they've done in the minor league so far. But send us your uh, five-star Apple podcast review and a prospect you want us to talk about, and we'll start doing that here on the show as well. All right, Startup Dynasty Roto Mock Draft that we did last week. Uh, Scott, does your, does your strategy change at all between um, the head-to-head points Dynasty mock draft that we did a couple of weeks ago versus this one or is it just you know the the normal differences that you'd see in a head-to-head points draft versus roto or is it just you completely change your strategy in a roto dynasty versus a head-to-head points dynasty i think it's mostly the differences that you come to expect from those formats anyway uh, the main th- one of the big things i've noticed about this and you know we've done it we've done this a few times now uh, for the startup dynasty mock, and what what makes it so interesting is like 
how often does anybody ever do a dynasty startup draft, right? You you do it the one time you start the league and then you never have to do it in that league again. So how how do you get practice at this? So we're becoming a little more practiced at this now. And one thing I've noticed uh, in both formats, but especially this one, is that b- because because prospects are being inserted the biggest prospects are going earlier in the draft and they tend to be prospect hitters and then there's already this kind of fear of investing long term and in, in starting pitchers it's easier to get the starting pitchers i want at the start of the year to be to be competitive the four out of, of my top 35 that i continually cite i don't have to invest in them as hard in a dynasty startup and i think i actually ended up with five or six in this one even though I didn't take my first until uh, round four, I don't think, or was it round three? Giolito, I took in round four. Yeah, that in round the, four. Yep. That was the first one I took, and I ended up with six of my top 35, I believe. And, you know, I still ended up, I think, with a really good prospect haul. Um, now, it's worth noting that for this process, there weren't, you know, everybody's being kept on equal terms. There aren't specific minor league spots where players are being discounted as keepers or anything like that. Everybody just drafts a 30-man roster and keeps as many players as they want. So that would influence how aggressively teams go after prospects. Um, but, you know, something to keep in mind, if you're in such a format, if it is only 12 or so teams deep, there are a lot of prospects to go around. And so you can still get some really high-end ones without being the guy who reaches for one in round two, round three, four. You know, they, there's there's there, there's a lot of them out there. And again, this was a roto mock draft. So two catchers, you have a corner infielder, middle infielder, five outfielders, one utility, and nine pitcher spots, which you can use however uh, you'd like. You can go six starting pitchers, three closers, seven and two, five and four, whatever, however you want to set that up that's completely up to you I, I do want to get into some of the some of the results here and Adam you had the eighth pick you took Alex Bregman one pick before you took Bregman Fernando Tatis Jr. went off the board would you have taken Fernando Tatis over Alex Bregman if he were available at eight I would have taken Bregman but I was thinking to myself like gosh I wonder if I can get Tatis in round two that would be so great and he actually went before my pick so I think I would have probably taken Tatis he may have been my next favorite player. You know, if, if Bregman had been off the board, and Bregman is, what, 27? Uh, 26. 26. So he's awesome. He's pretty much a sure thing. Um, if he had been off the board, I would have considered Fernando Tatis. No, I, I would have taken Bregman, though. The rest of the first round looked like this. Pretty standard, the first half. Ronald Acuna, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Juan Soto at four, Cody Bellinger, and then Garrett Cole, at six, a little bit early for Garrett yeah, Cole. I don't Scott. like that pick. Well, I don't think in a standard roto league, but in a dynasty league, knowing that pitchers tend to be discounted and that this one is twenty nine already, yeah i i would take I would take a slightly younger stud hitter that I felt confident would be a centerpiece for my team for a long period of time. Yeah, um, but but I will say I was trying to apply the lessons that we may have learned. When we did the old versus young teams last Tuesday, and Scott and I had to pick players that were 32 or older, and Chris and Frank had to pick players that were, what, 24 and younger? Yes. 
And our pitching was amazing. So we had Scherzer and Verlander and DeGrom uh, and Granke and Morton and Darvish and whatever. Like our pitching was better than your pitching. So I think you might look at a guy like Garrett Cole, who's basically had two workhorse seasons of greatness in a row. And maybe he's a guy that's going to be able to do it until he's 35. Maybe he's that Scherzer, that, that Verlander type player. And yeah, those, I, those workhorse pitchers, some of them tend to age pretty well. So maybe that's not a bad pick. I'm not sure that's the right lesson to take away. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe it's going to continue that way where older pitchers just tend to be the biggest workhorses in the league because they're not developing anymore. You're, you're not sure how much gas they have left anyway, so you're just going to run them as hard as, as they need to be run at that stage of their career. But... I think it's more the old guys, the old starting pitchers now are carryovers from a former time where every starting pitcher was worked that hard, and now they're just grandfathered in already. But how so how I, is Garrett Cole any different? Well, because since he's already built up to a point where he yeah. goes that deep into games, yeah, that's fair. Maybe yeah, it seems like I, he's built that like he has yeah. that workhorse build where he can go deep into games and. It's hard to say anyone's going to consistently give you over 200 innings in today's pitching climate, but if there was one person who was going to do that, I think most people would guess Garrett Cole. Yeah. And the other thought I had was like, well, maybe I'll take the opposite approach and say, God, if I get right with Walker Bueller, maybe I've got 10 to 12 years uh, with, you know, probably some some up-down years in there, but maybe he's the next Kershaw or something like that. Maybe we're talking double the time as Cole, but I, I wouldn't have taken Cole there, but I... I think I can make a case for it. And I thought the way our young versus old teams shook out with the pitching being so much better on our, on our teams, on the old team and like the middle infielders in particularly in particular being so much worse. And we see the way that the Robinson Cano's age, like Scott and I had to pick a, a second baseman and a shortstop that was 32 or older. And the best ones we had were Cano and Brandon Crawford. So that was in the back of my mind too. And then of course I took, Bregman, but he can move around and, you know, um, but, but I don't know that, that did occur to me that those older pitchers, they age well and those middle infielders really don't. So it's something to keep in mind, but I still would have taken Bregman and Tatis who's super young over a Cole. The second half of the first round mentioned Tatis went seventh pick. Adam took Alex Bregman. Scott took Mookie Betts at nine. I took Francisco Lindor at 10. Then Trey Turner and Trevor Story went off the board uh, to round out the first round. The second round, Walter can I, Bueller. Can I ask you guys how you feel about Turner, though? Because you got to be careful. And we saw it with VR. He went in the eighth round, and Marte went in the sixth round. When you're talking about Roto, obviously you're, you're drafting for steals. But that's something that could deteriorate with age. Or maybe these guys just become like steal specialists, you know, like a Rajay Davis or something. But, I mean, I don't think Turner is necessarily that old. But do you concern yourself because he's 26 to concern yourself that in two years he's like a 15 steel guy you know what i'm saying like what what do you think about turner in a dynasty league 11th overall given speed might decline the thought crossed my mind i was i was glad i wasn't the one who really faced that choice in the first round because you know in a redraft league i have turner going sixth he's my number six guy because i'm that concerned with filling those steals early I do think, uh, let's see, 26, he's going to be 27 at the end of June. I think that's still young enough that you can feel pretty confident in him 
continuing to be a standout in that category for the next three or four years, and so I'm I'm not I'm not going to shy away with him from him because of that. But I do think I I do think he gets downgraded versus somebody whose skills feel more bankable for the long haul. Like if you if you're doing the Alex Bregman versus Trey Turner comparison, as you did, Adam, you went you went with Bregman, even though in a redraft league I would go Turner in five by five scoring. I, I probably would lead Bregman in this format as well, in the in the dynasty format. Yeah, if you want to talk about a player who loses value in dynasty versus redraft, especially in Roto, I, I think Trey Turner is one of those players. And I considered the same things that Scott did. I mean, I'm happy Lindor was there for me at 10. I would have taken Trevor Story ahead of Trey Turner as well. I mean, there's still a chance that Trevor Story loses some stolen bases the next couple of years. But I think his power is a little bit more bankable uh, and... You know, hopefully he stays in Coors Field and in Colorado, uh, so his numbers continue to be boosted there. Uh, but I probably would have also considered Walker Bueller ahead of Trey Turner. I, I know that typically we downgrade pitching a little bit, but that's just where I would. Well, would in. you have taken Devers over him? Because I was like, oh, he's probably going to take Devers in the first round, and then bam, Frank gets him in the second round. Man, it would be it would be a tough call, but I think I would still take Trey Turner over Devers. For, I mean, yeah. Scott's right. I, I think for the next at least three years. And, you know, everyone's different with how they value Dynasty. They want to look at it from a five-year window, a 10-year window. But I think three to five years is kind of like that sweet spot. And I think at least for the next three or four years, Trey Turner will be a 30-plus steal contributor. I still don't think that we've seen the best from Trey Turner. I think that we could still get one of those 25 homer, 40 steal seasons out of him. I don't think that's crazy. Okay. The second round, Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty. I took Rafael Devers. Scott took Jose Ramirez. Adam took Glaber Torres. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> Jose Ramirez. Homer would have felt a lot better. <laughs> I think Adam wound up with like six or seven Yankees on this team. By the way, not so. enough. <laughs> not enough Yankees. Uh, Scott, I wanted to ask you if Devers was there, would you have taken Rafael Devers over Jose Ramirez? I'm not sure. I wasn't in the moment. I wasn't really. It wasn't one of those situations where I was looking for a pl- certain player to fall to me, and then I was like, oh, Frank sniped me by taking Devers. It was just, I don't know. I didn't think about who I was taking until the moment I was on the clock, and I was happy to see Ramirez there to get those steals from a player who's still in his 20s. I believe he's 27 now, Jose Ramirez. So, you know, it's not like age is working against him at this point. And I was I was just happy to get a steal source who was expected to be a big time contributor in other categories as well. Um, And pairing him and Mookie Betts with my first two picks, first of all, that's nothing you'd ever see in a redraft league. It's very unlikely anyway that somebody Uh, would get both Betts and Jose Ramirez. I think you could take Betts fifth or sixth and Ramirez in the second round. It's possible, I guess, but you don't see it very often. And I I think it's a very good start for that... uh, Oh, it is. Ever so elusive <laughs> category from two players who I don't think deserve to fall because it's a dynasty format. They're both 27 and should have a lot of good years left. So, I'm yeah, I'm really happy with that start. I was happy with the way my t- team turned out all oh, around. Oh, we know. Oh, yeah. Scott. <laughs> Scott doesn't usually in the middle of the middle of a draft, but he couldn't resist. He was like... I love my team. I do. I do. I, wish I could pull the chat I up. Still do. Yeah, yeah, I can. It's it's. Oh, here we like, go. Like it's it's for all the, of all the roto teams I drafted, it feels like the one that is most 
well-stocked with high-end pitching and well-stocked with stolen bases, the two scarcest commodities. And yet I don't feel like I had to sell out my future to do it. So yeah, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Scott said, I know nobody needs to hear this, comma, but dot, 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 I'm really loving my team. And I had the next comment and I said, let's tear it apart. <laughs> yes. Yeah, basically reminding everyone that it's child's play. No, and then I wrote, geez, do you have enough starting pitchers whose last name begins with G, Scott? Yeah. He said, I noticed that too. He must have a lot of those. We'll find out. Uh, so I, I took Rafael Devers over Jose Ramirez. And typically, I tend to lean with players who are in their low to mid-20s who are contributors now but can also continue to get better. So that's why I went with Devers over Jose Ramirez. And to me, Ramirez is not the same type of player as Trey Turner where I could see his stolen bases potentially falling off sooner. Oh, I, I completely agree. Than Trey Turner's. So, I mean, by you know a year or two from now, is he a 280 hitter with 25 home runs and 10 steals? It's still a fine player, but it's nowhere near the, the player that you're getting now in the second round. He can help, I think, for the next year or two, but the, I, I do worry about the steals with someone like Jose Ramirez more than I do with Trey Turner. The gentleman who took Garrett Cole in the first round with the sixth pick took Jacob deGrom in the second round. So if we think Garrett Cole is a little bit early, yeah, I actually don't think this is bad value for Jacob deGrom, but would you guys ever start Cole and deGrom in a dynasty league? No way. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I could do it either. I don't think so. I don't think so. Just too many. You're you're definitely playing a shorter game by doing that. And I don't think well, of course hindsight's twenty twenty and the way this draft played out, uh, I don't think justifies him doing this, seeing some of the pitching bargains that came up came up later. But I there, there is usually somebody in the, at the start of the Dynasty League who just completely sells out for right now. And um, I'd be curious to see if this is also the guy who got, like, uh, Justin Verlander. Yes, you know, the he really did. old guys. I was planning on taking Verlander. But I took Scherzer in round six. He took Verlander in round seven. Yeah. Pretty good pitching staff, <laughs> at least oh, for, for the sure. first the first sure. or second year in this league. <laughs> and it's I'll, not like, look, his third pick is Ozzy Albies. So it's not like he was just always taking the old guy. Um, no, and it didn't took... pay to take the old guy because a lot of old guys fell to to great value. I mean, Justin Verlander, you can't knock a guy for taking Justin Verlander at a dynasty startup when it's in round seven, you know, Absolutely. where he took him. So. Yeah, so, so he, goes, he, he goes Cole, this is Garrett, he goes Cole, DeGrom, and then his next three picks are like young, young infielders, Ozzy Albies, Cattell Marte, Javier Baez. Uh, and then he took Starling Marte in round six, and Marte is usually like a round three, maybe a round four pick in a dynasty league, but he's 31. So it's it's not bad. It's, it's not. not. Yeah, but it's, you just got to wonder what his pitching staff is going to look like in two years. Uh, yeah, it's a little... He, he gets Corey Kluber later, Yasmani Grandal. It's, it's older than is ideal, I think, but he definitely yeah. has strong pitching to start out the year, and it's not like he... I wouldn't say he reached for it. What it, position, to change the subject, sorry, Jordan Alvarez, going forward, because he was he went in between Mike Labor-Torres and Garrett's Jacob deGrom pick, right in the middle of round two. Is he going to be just a DA? Is he just going to be David Ortiz, or are they going to give him a position? Is That is a very important question to ask when you are drafting Jordan Alvarez in a dynasty league. I'm not confident he's going to have a position. 
it seems like outfield is where they're more willing to play him than first base right now. He, he got some exposure to first base in the minors, but he apparently was just so bad there that they don't want to do it. And if that's the case at first base, that's supposed to be where you stick the bad <laughs> defender in the majors, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how so, bad is he? And this is when he's in his early 20s and presumably at his most athletic. So, yeah, I, I think he's probably destined for DH long term. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Frank, I'm sorry for derailing your show. No, no, it's perfectly fine. And no, it's a fair question. And Yuli Gurriel, current first baseman for the Astros, is coming up on 36 years old. So I guess if there was a position Jordan Alvarez was going to play, it's probably first base. But but I lean with Scott here. I think that given what we know about his knees already, I mean, the guy has bad knees. He's like 22 years old, cannot play in the outfield. Yeah, there's some worry there. So I, I don't know that he's going to be able to play the field. You know, maybe in season he'll gain outfield eligibility a few years because he'll get like those five games here and there, five right. starts. But he's not going to play 20 games in the outfield to have it for the following year as well. So there'll be years where I think he gains the outfield eligibility or maybe gains first base eligibility. But I think for the most part, they want to play him at DH, which is just such a weird thing. You just you barely ever see that from a 22-year-old kid. So it's... It's just crazy to see. Uh, Wander Franco went with the 21st pick in this draft. That's like a normal range for him to go in a, in a dynasty startup, right, Scott? Well, I mean, everyone we do, we do with B-Don from Rasball, and B-Don's always the one who takes him in round <laughs> That's two. That's true. <laughs> so B-Don has certainly determined that that's where Ron, Wander Franco needs to go in a dynasty startup. And, um, you know, if, if, if we were to do one, and, and I saw Wander Franco there in round three, I don't know if B Don's just calibrated me to think that's great value, but I probably would take him at that point. Yeah. This is completely random, but I'm actually in a startup dynasty draft right now. It's a slow draft. And Wander Franco went with pick 42. It's a five by five roto with OBP. So he goes near, towards the mm. end of the third round. It's a 15 team league. So, but, but see, I, like I, hack, I have actual dynasty rankings. And. You know what? I don't think I'd take Wander Franco in round three because I, I actually got Keston Hira in round three, who himself is 23 years old, already has half a season where he showed he could be a high-end performer in the majors. I mean, last year between the, the majors and minors, it was close to 40 homers, close to 20 steals, second base eligibility. Obviously, youth is in his favor. I'd go, I'd go with Keston Hira over Wander Franco. Given the setup of this dynasty league, if it was, you know, keeping Wander Franco for cheaper than Keston here, it'd be different. But, you know, that's not the way this one's set up. Everyone's kept on equal terms. I'd, I'd rather have the semi-proven guy who's already contributing and shows an enormous ceiling himself. And you snipe me, Scott. You... Mm, can't say it, but I wanted Kesson Hira. <laughs> uh, I I just took him in that in that startup dynasty uh, league that I'm that I just mentioned. I took him in the third round of a 15 team league, but I did want him in this one. And you took him one pick before me. Uh, I, I did want to just ask your guys' opinion. Joe Adele, you know, once you see Wander Franco go off the board in the late second round, Joe Adele is the first pick of the third round. So you start to see a little bit of a prospect run here in this startup dynasty mock draft. But the problem I have with the pick is that. Everyone's different. It's subjective with prospects. But should he? I mean, is there really a case that you could make for Joe Adele going ahead of Luis Robert in a roto league? Because he went two picks ahead of Luis Robert. 
I think you'll definitely find traditional prospect rankings with Adele ahead of Robert. I don't know off the top of my head which ones and where, oh, but really? I, I, okay. I know they're out there. But fantasy context, particularly five by five context, I kind of feel like Adele is hoping to have the kind of breakthrough in the minors this year that Robert had last year. Like it's similar skill sets and he just needs more production. And we're kind of we're kind of hoping he takes that Robert turn. So why why not just take the guy who he's trying to emulate there? That's that's kind of how I see it. I'd I'd definitely take Robert over Adele. But there is probably an argument that exists for Adele over Robert. I'm just not the one to give it. Is it is it too simple to go with the guy who's in the better home ballpark? It's a pretty big difference, Chicago to Los Angeles. It's fair. I mean, it comes down to how you value, like, ETA, too. Like, Adele's probably going to be up at some point this year, but it seemed like Robert was going to be in yeah. the majors to start the season. We all knew that. He has the contract extension, so you don't have any worry about that. I just think in terms of, yes, Adele's very athletic, but, I mean, we've already seen the big steals production out of Robert. It just it didn't really make much sense to me. I don't know that Adele should go two picks ahead of Luis Robert in a 5-by-5 five five, uh, Roto Dynasty startup. So I just wanted to bring that to uh, to you guys' attention. I don't think here. they should go ahead of Vlad either. No. Yeah, and Vlad no. went with uh, the fifth pick of the third round. That's I mean, that that's the thing that I, I, I guess is one of my biggest takeaways from this. is, And we've talked about it before. Prospects just seem to be what people want in dynasty leagues. They're just excited to be able to draft them. And I feel like a lot of times it doesn't make sense to take a prospect over even a semi-established guy like Kira, like Guerrero. I mean, at this time a year ago, Guerrero probably would have gone in round two, you know, and here he is going in round three because his half season in the majors was a little disappointing, but he's still early twenties and still has as much upside as he always did. It's just now we know he's not going to completely stink in the majors. He has a job that he should be pretty secure in. If anything, it feels like it should go up, but just because he doesn't have that rookie eligibility anymore, it, it seems like he's dinged for that. And I just want to stress, in some dynasty leagues, it would make sense because some are set up so that minor leaguers are kept for cheaper than major leaguers. But that's not the way we set this one up. I want to skip forward a little bit to the fourth round. And I took Chris Paddock with the third pick of the fourth round. He was my first starting pitcher that I took. I started my draft with Francisco Lindor, Rafael Devers, and then Eloy Jimenez at the end of the third round. And I took Chris Paddock ahead of Giolito. Scott, were you considering Paddock by any chance, or were you just excited to see Lucas Giolito still available there in the fourth round? No, I was considering Paddock. I had Lucas Giolito ranked ahead of him, obviously in redraft leagues I do, but also in my Dynasty Top 150, I had Giolito ahead of Paddock, not by as much. But I was considering taking Paddock just because I felt like past Dynasty startups have shown me that enthusiasm is higher for Paddock than Giolito, and maybe that was my better way of getting both of them. You kind of saved me from what probably would have been a bad choice because I doubt I would have gotten both Paddock and then Giolito on the, back in round five. So, um, But yeah, it was between those two for me. I definitely wanted to take a pitcher at that point, four rounds in, not having a starting pitcher yet. That definitely gives me anxiety. 
heading into uh, given given the environment we're playing in right now. So uh, Giolito being a 25 year old, I mean, uh, you know, this is just for what I expect from from 2020. It seems like good value, and then hopefully he has a good long future of high end production ahead of him. Yeah, the reason I ask is because I was actually debating those two exact guys, and I, and I went with Paddock. Um, I don't. I guess he's one year younger than Giolito. Uh, the fact that he does have better command is something that factored in there. Um, but it's it's definitely close. It's definitely close between Paddock and, and Giolito. And you know, we hear often that you know starting pitching goes later in a dynasty league versus in a ro- uh, in a redraft league. And I looked this up. We did a roto mock draft, a regular roto redraft mock draft recently um, and eight starting pitchers were drafted through three rounds in this draft in a dynasty one 11 starting pitchers were drafted through three rounds in the redraft but through four rounds it was 13 for dynasty and 13 for redraft so while I think that can be true in the early rounds of these drafts I think by the time you get to like the fourth fifth round you have like the same number of starting pitchers off the board in redraft versus dynasty if that makes well, sense, I I feel like it's more so just for the early round pick, Scott. I I don't I don't think that's true because I think the ones who haven't gone yet, yeah, maybe they cut they ha- it happened to catch up here in round four, but the ones who still haven't gone are the many old guys who populate the tar- top of the starting pitcher rankings. So like my so my first pick here was Giolito in round four. My second I didn't take until round six, but it was Patrick Corbin. Who's not even that old? He's thirty. Uh, and then, you know, we talked about Justin Verlander going in round seven. Max Scherzer in round six, and it gets really delayed after that. Sonny Gray, I got in round nine. Um, right, but they, right there but, are there are some young guys going in here, like sprinkled throughout: yeah. Jesus Lazardo, Michael Kopech, Julio Arias, Frankie yeah. Montas, Zach Gallen. A lot maybe, more of those maybe. guys. Trevor Bauer I, I went in done, round seven. That's true. I, I haven't done like an assessment of anybody with a starting, anyone who happens to be eligible at starting pitcher, whether or not they're established as an ace or still a prospect or whatever. Maybe it is distributed a little more evenly, but the starting pitchers, those, those, those few dozen starting pitchers who I actually trust right now to be an asset, to be a positive contributor to a fantasy team, they were spread out much more throughout the draft, which is how I ended up with six of the 35. Uh, and for me, Frank, it's like I need to build the core of my roster around young hitting. And a, a young pitcher would have to really fall into my lap. My pitching, you know, I changed my strategy midway through the draft. It was just, I just felt the veterans were not getting enough love. And I was just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to win this year. So, you know, I ended up on with, with um, Max Scherzer, Zach Ranke, James Paxton, and then I try to get a little bit younger after that, but I just kind of felt like I'm going to have among the best pitching. And I have good young hitters, but I my first five picks were hitters. Freeman was the only one that's not young. And then I pivoted and I said, okay, I just felt I just felt like people were, were like pretty heavy on prospects, unproven guys, and now these veteran pitchers are falling. So I decided to take some old pitchers, win this year, and then I have... Ian Anderson, Davey Garcia, Matthew Libertore, Grayson Rodriguez, Domingo Armand, all on my bench. I've got some prospects. Hopefully two of them will work out. 
Uh, but I just, when it comes to drafting pitchers, I cannot pass up young hitters who I know are good, who are, you know, in 24-ish or whatever. I can't pass up building my team around those guys and at least having a few of them before I start looking at pitchers. So that was my approach to it. That's a really good point because for how much my philosophy has changed hitting versus pitching in a redraft league, I don't think it really has when you're talking about prospect evaluation or or just young up-and-comer, not even necessarily a prospect, how, how we evaluate their career path. I think hitters are much more bankable than pitchers when projecting for the long haul. And that's even truer in, at a time when offense comes so easily. So I want really strong pitching, but it has to be already established pitching. Pitching Because if it's not, I, I don't trust that it's ever going to get to that high-end standard that seems to make all the difference at that position right now. So, yeah, if, if I'm... You know, that's why in a dynasty league like this, I still want to invest early, most heavily in young position players. And I think it's just seeing how it turned out that I could still get those established arms that I value so much just for later because so many young players pushed them down to a certain point. I think it's, I think it's kind of like right in my wheelhouse in terms of how I would like to build a dynasty team. And so, uh, the so things I value most today. Let me ask you how how do you feel about my prospect, my pitching prospects? Because in addition to having Scherzer, Granky, and Paxton, I also have Fultonevich and Luke Weaver and Jose Urquidy. They're starters for me right now. But Ian Anderson, Wait, who? Luke Weaver? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Luke Weaver. Ian <laughs> Anderson <laughs> for the Braves. Davy Garcia and Domingo Herman for the Yankees. Matthew Liberatore of the Cardinals. Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles. I mean, is that a good... I don't know prospects nearly as well as you guys do. Is that a good roster of prospects? I didn't take one of them. Anderson I took in like the 18th round out of a 30-round draft. The other ones were all like mid-20s. I mean, these were some of my last picks. Yeah, yeah. So is that a good stable of prospects, do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're good prospects, sure. Um, Did I... Is that a good strategy or did I not take high-end enough high-end pitching prospects. I feel like for as long as I waited, I mean, I feel like I got some pretty good ones in there and it just didn't make sense to take like um, Forrest Whitley who much went much earlier, you know, like these guys kind of fell. No, I don't think, I don't think, um, well, I guess he technically is, but how upside wise, what is the upside, upside, uh, measurement for Forrest Whitley versus somebody like Grayson Rodriguez. I think upside-wise, they probably rate similar. Whitley's a little further ahead, but of course, he also introduced some risk back into his profile with a very disappointing very disappointing season last year. So, I mean, Grayson Rodriguez is, is a prospect I've been drafting a lot in these dynasty startups because I just think he gets pushed down by virtue of being a little further down in the minors, which is totally fair. But it also is kind of getting back to the idea I brought up at the start, where there's just so many prospects out there right. that some are going to last until late in only a 12-team league. And I think I think you did fine picking up the ones that you did for the prices that you picked them up for. I, I think 
the fact that it's so many starting pitching prospects, I mean, and it leaves you more vulnerable to misses than somebody who uh, maybe leaned more toward picking up minor league hitters instead. But you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. It's just it, it's just a little riskier. Yeah, I'm not expecting all five of them to hit. Uh, but I guess my point is, if you want to draft more veteran pitchers than you thought you were going to, there are enough there are enough prospects that you can still have a nice little stable of prospects on your bench. This was a 30 round draft. So, you know, I, I think the way I did it ended up working out for me. I, I have a pretty good team. And my first four picks were Alex Bregman, Glaber Torres, Freddie Freeman. Well, my first five picks, Alex Bregman, Glaber Torres, Freddie Freeman, Yoan Moncada, and one that I really like. Victor Robles. Your feedback on. Yeah. Victor Robles, which was a really interesting, cause I really kind of hate him. In yeah. seasonal leagues, what did he do to you? He, I, I hit harder than Victor Robles. He just like oh, he might on, just man. be a bad hitter. He makes horrible contact, but he's like 23 with prospect pedigree, and he runs. He was yeah. My fifth round I, I mean, pick. that's the thing in the steals. So you didn't really have any steals at that point, and maybe if I didn't either, he's 22 in a dynasty league, especially. I'd bank on that upside of Robles, and at least know I get some steals there. I was fortunate that I got Betts, Jose Ramirez, and Keston Hero with my first three picks, and basically didn't have to worry about steals anymore. Um, though I ended up with a couple of decent base stealers anyway. But yeah, if you if you didn't have any by the time round five rolled around, and Victor Robles was there in a dynasty startup, I think that's that's definitely one of the first players you look at. But all five picks were hitters. Freeman's the only one who's older. He's like 31. And mm-hmm. that just said to me, all right, like I've got a good core. I don't have to rely on hitting prospects. Now let's go get some pitchers. Max Scherzer yeah. was there in round six. So I just like I just feel like I could win the league this year. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Your your first pitchers were Scherzer, Grinky, Paxton. That's three of the 35. So you didn't get four like I'd like to have. But then you also have Weaver. You have Urquidy. Fultonevich, there's some upside there. If one of those three pitches up to his ceiling, then you know you're 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 going to be in good shape with the pitching for this year. Um, but your team is a little older. Your team is a little older, and you may have to. You may have you, you may go through some lean years hmm. in the next beginning in the next couple of years because of it. What's well, good thing? Good thing I, we're I not your mindset of. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked your mindset of, you know, if you couldn't get younger pitchers, you waited at that position, you took some vets, and then you kind of shored yourself up with prospects later on because that's exactly what I did at the first base position because I just kept waiting and waiting, and then I wound up with Carlos Santana as my starter, but then I also drafted Ryan Mountcastle and Nate Lowe late. Mm, yeah. So I tried to cover myself, and I, I think that that's like a good mindset to have in a startup dynasty draft where, look, if you miss out, it's not the end of the world because you can take a veteran that'll help you for the immediate future, the next season or two, and then you can also draft a prospect at that position or positions that can hopefully, you know, take the reins from said player. So, I mean, is that something that you would consider doing, Scott? Like, if you just miss out at a certain position? I want to say, let me see if I did that at any position. Um, Outfields... You know, I, I always go weak in the outfields. And I ended up getting Mookie Betts in the first round and Charlie Blackman, I think, in like round eight or something ridiculous because that was just another one of those veterans who fell forever. 
but my last three aren't my last three outfield spots aren't especially strong but i got austin riley late who you know he could be the he could lead the Braves in home runs this year, and he cost me next to nothing. I, it's just so many young players like that. Nate Lowe for you, you know, if it's not a true prospect, those kind of post type sleepers that could end up becoming huge assets for you for years to come. Guys in their early twenties still. Yeah, you uh, did that with Sen, uh, Senzel as well. Yeah, yeah, I paid a little more for Senzel, but yeah, that's the same same sort of idea. Just. Just young player. If if it's if there's no discount to keeping a minor leaguer, you don't need to emphasize minor leaguers over more established players who are also really young and just happen to have exhaust, exhausted rookie eligibility. That that should be a point in their favor that they're all they've already done something at the major league level as opposed to being a knock against them. I want to make one more point, Frank. Just the way baseball is going to change, maybe beginning this year with just the circumstances, but. Every team's going to have a DH soon. They're going to get rid of the DH in the National League. And that's going to extend careers. Like This isn't relevant to the National League, but I took J.D. Martinez in the seventh round. He's typically a second-round pick. He's 32. It's not like he's 36. So I thought that was a good pick. And I also took Nelson Cruz in like the 14th round. But I could see J.D. Martinez becoming the next Nelson Cruz and just playing forever as a DH. So these older hitters... Um, I think there that a lot of them are going to have sort of a, a number of them are going to have an extended career because the DH is going to be everywhere. I know that Joel Sherman reported it a lot when the Mets traded for Robinson Cano. They did it thinking we're going to be able to DH him pretty soon. So it's coming. It's going to help older players. I think it saved David Ortiz's career. It saved Nelson Cruz's, not to take away from who they are, but certainly extended them, um, kept them healthy. And, uh, they just could be another thing that to make you say, I, I don't want to wait too long on these on these hitters because if you're a great, you have to be obviously a really good hitter. Like JD Martinez deserves to be a full time DH if that's what it comes to, uh, and could extend his career by a few years. No, it's a fair point, and I think look when you talk about a player who has like a 900 plus OPS. I mean, last year Nelson Cruz had a thousand OPS. Um, that definitely makes sense. And something to consider when thinking about National League players. So if you are doing a dynasty startup, keep in mind those fringy National League players. You know, some of the Cincinnati Reds outfielders come to mind. You know, with a DH, Aquino could have more value there. Senzel, who's got drafted here. Uh, Castellanos. Who's Aquino? Did Aquino get drafted? He did get drafted. Okay. Yeah. So just yeah. keep that in mind when you're doing, if you're doing any dynasty-related, you know, drafts or transactions throughout this time keep in mind that the national league dh could be here as soon as this year but you know once we have a normal baseball season again it could be back as soon as i mean it could be here as soon as next year guys i'm looking at my team again i got seven of the top 35 <laughs> starting pitchers not even six and i didn't are you punting saves, i drafted though? my first in round four my second in round six one of them is Zach Gallon, so definitely went the upside route with at least that one pick, and I got seven of them. Yeah, because you didn't take any closers. I did not take that's any true. closers. You took Ian I'm, Kennedy. I'm totally fine with it. Uh, all right, well, that's Ian the thing. Kennedy's the Scott one. Scott loves his team, and then it, like he said he loved his team. He had two outfielders and no closers at the time. And it's like, well, <laughs> that, could, that could come back to hurt you. Those are, those are the positions where I am happy to be a little weaker, though, because I know there's always going to be new options emerge. You know what's so tough though? Two, especially closer, like, I mean. Geez. Who are you going to drop in in we don't in this format, we don't have a taxi squad. Yeah. 
So when the closer right. comes out, like who are you gonna drop? Because obviously you can't drop Tariq Skubal or Luis Severino. You know? Yeah. I think Edwin Encarnacion's probably your first player gone on this roster, but by the way, Luis Severino is not among the seven of the thirty. No, that was such a great pick. But yeah, no, it, it could it could end up being a prospect who's just a little further back. Uh I got Marco Luciano, who's I think was just in rookie league last year. Uh, 17 18 year old in the giants who looks like he has enormous upside but he might just not end up being worth the wait um, so don't we need taxi squads are they like a requirement <laughs> i know they it would, are it, in, in football dynasty leagues i don't know about baseball i i thought about making it even deeper than 30 rounds this draft um but the thing about a roto league is you don't really need to make that much use of their bench play you kind of just end up stashing a ton of guys anyway uh, you know, it's going to make for some tough choices, but that's not necessarily the bad thing in setting up a league. And I imagine sometimes I'll, I'll be, I'll have a spot to pick up a guy just because somebody got yeah. injured, yeah, yeah. you know, Luis Severino, putting him on the IL opens up a spot right away. And, uh, you know, there will be tough decisions to make, but I, I know closer saves are a need for me and it'll be a high priority whenever I'm playing the waiver wire. So I'm not worried about it. We talk about it all the time. Half the guys we expect to be closers now aren't going to end up leading their teams in saves in all likelihood. So uh, there there will be opportunities to to fill that need later, and I didn't really address, invest any draft capital in it at all, which I think is a smart way to go about it in a dynasty start. Frank, let me just get, get one more guy. I thought the single most interesting pick of the draft. Scott took him. One pick oh, yeah. before I was probably going to take him. Jose Altuve <laughs> in round eight. It, it was uh, so it wasn't Blackman. It, it was so it was so weird. It, you know, it was like Kershaw, um, Kershaw. I get why he would fall to round eight. Darvish was in round eight. Altuve, he's twenty nine, but yeah. I thought that was a pretty, probably awesome pick. Yeah, there seems to be a perception that he's on the decline already, and and oh, he is. That might technically be true. I mean, he's not running anymore. His batted ball profile, even though he hit a career high in home runs, it was worse. But it, just because he just because his upside is lower now, don't doesn't mean I think he's in the twilight of his career. Like he makes a ton of contact, he has a tiny strike zone. I think he's going to age really well. He just may not be quite at that tip top level that whole time. So yeah, I was happy with him there. Like you said, he's not as old as I think a lot of people perceive him to be. It was actually, so I took Altuve in round eight. It was actually round 10 where I got Blackman. So that makes it seem even. Yeah, I mean, at that better. point, it's. Yeah. <laughs> round 10, you could take the shot there. Even I consider Jose Altuve in the eighth round, and I don't, I don't like Jose Altuve. I'm, I'm, I'm off him for this year in redraft. I worry about the leg injuries. Uh, he's dealt with knee, hamstrings the past couple of seasons. Don't think he's going to run much anymore mm. for five by five but still hits in the middle of one of the better lineups in baseball, probably still going to hit for batting average. I mean, in round eight, even I considered it, and I'm not a big fan you of Jose just, Altuve, so. You're mad about the walk-off homer. We need to get over so Frank. I, maybe. <laughs> I ended up with Hura, Altuve, Max Muncie as my first baseman. Uh, yeah, Tommy Edmond, me on him too. Tommy Edmond is my corner infielder. That's four second base eligible player. What does everybody else's second base spot look like? How did I end up with so many? I have Glaber Torres. Uh, I fine. wound up with Gavin Lux. I actually took Gavin Lux maybe a little early. 
fifth round. Oh, but... somebody, somebody has Vidal Bruhan, a Rays prospect started there. Rugnet Odor. <laughs> That's Nick B-Don. I, I was checking out his team. All prospects for B-Don. Yeah, B-Don loves building around the prospects. A lot of people which, do. You know, maybe yeah. maybe he'll be the best team in the league in three years. But I like to do it more the, in football. The thing about prospects base, is they're only... They're only perspective, mm-hmm. and that's that's why semi-proven guys are better because they're less perspective. All right, you can catch the results of that draft, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. That'll do it for today. Tomorrow, we have the all-disappearing act team. Speaking of disappearing acts, I expect Chris Towers will be on that show, and he'll probably try to make another case for Mark Pryor somehow I, to be I on probably a second won't team. be on the show, so you can put me on the all-disappearing act team. There you go. Adam Azer makes it as well. That'll do it for Adam and Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.